Good afternoon, listeners. I'd like to acknowledge the Slaywaytooth, Squamish, and Musqueam, for which whose unceded stolen territories as a settler I reside on. This episode is on In Our Grief. And this is grief I've carried this whole holiday season. I've, I've wept. Not uncontrollably, but different things that have come into place. And today's weeping... I've allowed myself space. Space for the grief of the loss of my uncle. There was a story about the unseen and I forgot her name, but she was in London and she was dead for three years before anybody found her. Can you imagine that? She had chosen to not be with her family and had cut ties and she had died of one of two ways, natural causes, while she was wrapping presents and watching TV. Three years, she was dead, and they had very little to identify her from, except her teeth. Can you imagine that? If you Google it, there is, there was a documentary done in 2011 in regards to this woman. Three years and nobody was caused to check on her. That's why this is significant podcast. Because it's not for the masses, as I've said in my trailer. It's for those very few who choose to listen to the stories of the unseen. And in our grief, this podcast is about my Uncle Max. My Uncle Max had passed away some 35 years ago. I had been living in Chilliwack, working two jobs, one for community service in Chilliwack as a crisis line listener. And at the YWCA in Chilliwack, when I was not in school, I was a crisis line volunteer, the overnight shift. And on weekends and evenings, I worked at the YWCA. As a student, full-time, I had made very little. It was $3.50 an hour working. 
at that rate 35 years ago. And the money that I had received, I put it towards a family account. Now our nations have some funds, a few thousand to help with burial and various cultural process that we have to go through that each family decides how that those funds will be used but it's on the burial but before that we knew as a family I have 13 aunts and uncles and at age 20 I wanted to give back to my aunts and uncles, right? Because I grew up by myself and every so often one of my aunts, my aunt or my uncles were living with us, including our Uncle Max. And I say our because my sister's no longer here, but that's a memory that we have. And my Uncle Max is truly the unseen, like my stepson was, who chose to kill himself. My Uncle Max lived on the downtown east side. I think I'd mentioned this in my previous podcast. Different members of my family, mainly cousins, He was the one uncle who died on the downtown east side. He died in the month of June. Sadly, like I say, he was totally the unseen. Because, like the woman in London, it wasn't three years that her remains were found, but it was a month in June when the temperatures are hot. That's when somebody went to check on my uncle, who had been dead for a month. So I don't even want to fathom what his remains looked like at that time. I had tried to go to his little SRO, single room occupancy apartment, but my Uncle Joe, who had recently passed six months ago, had said, no, no, you do not need to see your uncle that way or his place. You keep the good memories. A fucking month before anybody thought to go and check on my Uncle Max. And it was a woman I gave thanks to by doing a DVD for her dad when he died. She never repaid me, but I thank her for 
going to check on Max because she's a worker for the downtown east side. Ironically, her mom and my mom were besties before her mom passed and then when my mom passed. So I grew up with her mom loving me. That was one of the rare instances that I had love and was seen and heard. But back to my story. For a long time, I had given space to my family and their lateral violence. But today, I'm not. Today, I have released that. And I want to say, I loved my Uncle Max. My Uncle Max was drawn to the downtown east side and the addictions that are there. I'm not going to say what he was addicted to. The point of the story today is that he was the unseen and he wasn't seen for a month. And like I said, I worked two part-time jobs and I had put money into a family a family emergency fund because we had 13 uncles and one aunt that I was grateful for. And what is 30 years ago, 1990, 1992 was when I was 22 and I was living in Chilliwack. So I personally, with my two jobs, and at $3.50 an hour, I had put in at least $500. I don't know the exact amount. It could have been $750 because I loved my uncles and my one aunt who had helped me as a young girl and as a teen. And that's what family does, right? I know my late uncle Leo had put at least $5,000 in because he was one of the second oldest. He's older than my dad. And he died seven years ago. So I had held space for this thievery. So our family emergency fund had about $10,000 in there. Like I said, my uncle Leo put 5000 I don't know how much other family members had had. But remember, there's 13. 13 of them contributing money. And I am the oldest granddaughter. I had put at least $500, $750 into this fund. And you know what happened when my uncle Max died? All our family came together. That's what we do when someone dies. We all come together. We all came together at my Aunt Peggy. She's the baby of the 13, the baby daughter. We came to her house and we asked how much money is in the fund. She looked at us distraught and questioned us. What were we talking about? My aunt had stolen our fucking emergency fund. 
Peggy Gray had stolen our $10,000 for our family deaths and emergencies. What do you call that? What do you call that? So for 35 years, I've kept space for this. And my Uncle Leo and my Uncle Joe were all adamant angry. But of course, our family never tells about these intergenerational trauma shit. We keep it under covers. And we don't tell. Well, today's my day for giving up that space. I'm not angry. I just choose to speak the truth. And Peggy Gray stole our family emergency fund in 1990 when my Uncle Max passed away. So once again, we had to find our money and pool it together so that we could, one, bury our uncle, and two, raise funds for his tombstone. As he is the unseen, that's all he got. There was no cultural family feast regarding his death. Just like my late sister, there is no cultural feast for her death. She is the unseen, and I am the only one left to deal with her grief. I'm the only one that's chosen to remember my late sister. And the same thing with my little cousin, my little sister, Judy Bolton. My Uncle Joe was lost in addiction and stuff. And my little sister, my little cousin, was also the unseen. None of her children care to learn about Judy or what her story was. from either side of the family, the Boltons and her five children and her two youngest, whom the youngest I was there for when she was born, none of them want any contact. These are stories of the unseen that most of you wouldn't give a shit about. I give a shit, and I am speaking and sharing their stories as I remember. These are stories, my sons don't want to hear about Because as young people, you only want to hear the value of people
my Uncle Max. He was a good soul. But he was lost. And on the downtown east side, that's a place you can never return from. And this is 1990, so 30 years ago. Uncle Max was dead for a month before anybody found him. Like I said, he was my uncle and he was a gentle soul except when he was in his addiction. But I'll save that for another day. My sister Judy. My sister Lana. There are 10 children out there who have no fucking idea how gentle souls they were. Nor my Uncle Max. He never had, he chose to make sure he never had any children. And so does, so do two other uncles, very same age as my Uncle Max. They're still alive. They're still here. But in our grief, the story of the unseen is about my Uncle Max, who died and was dead for a month before anybody went to look for him. That's the truth of the unseen and the truth of his younger sister who took full advantage of him and stole all the money that was kept in our emergency fund. Peggy Gray, you're a thief and I don't like you and I've never liked you very much. How can a family member, how can a sibling do that to another sibling or any of her siblings or any of her relatives? In good faith, that was done. And she did horrible things to our family because of that. And I no longer give it space. I've let it out. Lateral violence does not live in our lives. Thank you for listening. I remember you, Uncle Max, today.
good day to you. <clears throat> it's the beginning of 2024. I'd like to acknowledge that I live, work, play, and for some of you, study on the unceded traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh. For today, this is the the unseen, um, I guess you could say, the unheard. A lot, there are a, a many, many allies, but the comprehension the true understanding of the nature of the work that needs to be done. This is why I stress there's no reconciliation because allies are on one level and our comprehension understanding is on a different level. And the federal government and provincial government, even municipalities, they're all on various levels that are not on the same playing field as those of us that truly comprehend what's being said. I remember growing up, my dad, still today, very much comes from an angry place. A lot of people don't like the words that I use, don't like the things I have to say in regards especially to my family. Um, the work the government has done to strip away my family and as try as our young people, our young family members might, they don't want to acknowledge me. And that's okay, because they're, they're, they're also on a different level, and they have no true comprehension of what's being said. And I say this in all honesty, because there are some people that can eloquently say it. And for that reason, my allies, they can take me. And those that are on another playing field don't take me and dislike me, hate me. But when they need something in our family, then they come back. But they really don't understand what I'm trying to say. And in these podcasts, I try to provide a layer of comprehension and true understanding of the reality of what's out there. Unfortunately, fortunately, there are no statistics, no data, no empirical evidence to back this up. I just have the words of a friend on the island who speaks his language. He grew up with two grandmothers for a long time. His tag is Indigenous 
punk. And I just want to share some of the words he has here. And he does Facebook. And he does TikTok as well. And this is from December 27th, 2020. And I reposted what he had to say. Three years later, people still don't understand. Jared Williams says, I warn people who hire me to speak on Indigenous issues. I say things like, what I have to say and not all stories are happy endings. Then after the talk, I check in with the audience and say things like, now that you know, it is your job to share and will only get better when everyone knows what I've said here today. And that's if they take, if they take the words to heart, not just on the surface. I've had audience members cry, scream, sob, and for a lot, many leave. I do my best to break it up with some humor and make them laugh. I don't do that because that's, that's a lot of work on our part to have to do. You need to be able to take what's true. But the more I make them laugh, the more I show them how human I am and the harder they cry. And these words are most important. Our story isn't over. It's what writers call the falling action, where the climax is ended and the story is wrapping up. But the collusion is, conclusion is not yet determined. We as a people have time to change the story, to make the conclusion positive, even if the story is melancholy. So, when you ask an elder to speak, a knowledge keeper to share, or any chaisla, any halkamilim talk, be ready for the truth because you asked for it. And that's why, that's the end of it. Indigenous Forest Punk is his tag. Kiewitzen Strong is another tag. Kauchin Strong is another tag. Salish Fire. And I love this one. My existence is resistance. And he had a photo on his post. When you're native, and I really hated this, when you're native and you have to present on Indigenous class studies, and it's um, a Japanese cartoon, and he looks all angry, and his mouth is open, his arms are open, his wides are open, you and, your, you and your forefathers have devastated the balance of this world and now you pay the ultimate price. Not, nobody. I have one person like this post. So this is what I mean. This has been three years. This has been on here. And I have only one like. 
maybe if I spoke more of our language, but it stems again from my learnings from my dad and his was always violence and yelling. I choose to not yell post-stroke. I have done it a few times. Even last week I was talking with my son and I yelled not at him but just the experience of yelling. I was mirroring back to him. So there is no data on this podcast. I really like data, but I'm no longer a student, so I have to try and find ways to get at the data, the Indigenous research. But there's none on this because there's there's no understanding in my 54 years there's no understanding to get a piece of this and I believe our youth our youth today don't know don't know anything unless they have their grandmother's teachings and a lot of our indigenous children are in care and they're in care with non-indigenous people I'm not saying all indigenous people are good because I still feel sad for the family in hope where the indigenous family had murdered an indigenous child I think he was four years old there's a lot of work that needs to be done there, but they just drop that in our plate and we're supposed to carry that. And I carry the sadness of that little boy and his little life of four years had so many struggles. I feel for the mother of five who died in a hospital while the nurses laughed at her as she died they laughed no harm was done to them because we're just another indigenous person that died before our time and oh well slap our hands together and move on move forward and that's how a lot of our millennials are that's how a lot of a lot of people are in regards to when our indigenous people die whether it be tragically or missing and murdered women missing and murdered men our children that are in care that die society doesn't want to hear about us and i think that's one of the reasons why we're still here trying to be heard And this is the reason for my podcast. I have 2,000 listeners as of 2024. That doesn't mean... It doesn't mean anything unless you take a piece of what I say and really look lift up the carpet, lift up the blanket, lift up the false reality you see the world in to truly understand. 
I have returned to work part-time working in a high school because I have hope that it's our youth today, despite them being millennials, that they are the hope for our future. They are the hope to survive and to make a difference. That's the hope I have for my family, my late sister's five children, and my little cousin, my baby sister. She has five children. They are what I hope are our future. And in my later years of my life, I hope that all my baby cousins, because I'm the oldest cousin, I'm hoping my cousins will come back into our family and want to know our family. I just had a family member who was distant, but we came together in 1993 on our Katwas canoe journey to Bella Bella, and that was the first time I met him. I think he was 20 then. 1993, that's like 30 years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I have hope. I'm forever the optimist regarding family. And that's why I let go of family. Because if they're going to come back in a true way, they will come back. Again, unfortunately, there's no statistics on this. Because how do you truly comprehend what I'm saying? What Jared, the Indigenous Forest Punk, is saying. We're on another playing field and there aren't people who choose to listen to what we say. If this leaves you with questions or queries, then that means that the words myself and Jared and many others have said are getting through. And when you get through and truly comprehend what layer we're on, you be like, oh my fucking God. For now, I am recovering almost two years in March, post-stroke. So for now, I'm working with youth in the school district. Just to keep my foot in the door of working with youth and witnessing the greatnesses they have. I have a few students and they're shining stars. And that's where I have hope. There are a few I speak the truth with. And they take what I say and they return. And for me, that's a good thing. I love when they pop their head in to make sure I'm there. I'm not there to give them prizes. I'm there to give them support and to be seen for them.
Finally, our story isn't over. It's at what writers call the falling action, when the climax has ended and the story is wrapping up, but the conclusion is not yet determined. We have time to change the story. My listeners, you have time to change the story. It's not for me, I'm too old. But the slivers I have to share are there. And I'm forever grateful to my great aunts, my great uncles, most of them have passed, and my grandmother and her teachings. of unconditional love. Wah. Thank you for listening.